We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host Nick Villato. And you're probably listening to this on Draft Night Eve. We are recording it just almost 24 hours before the draft. We wanted to dive into a few final thoughts on the draft as we get into at least the weekend, the opening night. We also wanted to go over a little bit of some other stuff that's been popping up on Giants Twitter, like Will the Giants decide on the fifth-year options of Daniel Jones? Apparently, that's going to happen before the draft. They're meeting right now with ownership to decide on that. Dexter Lawrence, another person not discussed, but that fifth-year option as well. We'll drop one or two lines max. I promised Nick I would limit myself. He didn't ask for this, so I didn't even actually say it out loud. In my head, I promised that I will limit myself about my guys and not get too into them, but we do want to do a final recap of my guys, the guys that me and Nick are higher on than consensus in this class. We're also going to throw out a bold take on the draft. It could be a prediction of what will happen or a take. I have a good one that I think some people might be able to predict, but I'm going to go heavy with it and I'm going to stand by it because I mean it. And then finally, we'll just talk about some of the rumors that have been going on with the Giants. So I'll start it off here, Nick. I want to talk about a few of the rumors. So the first rumor is that the Giants have Evan Neal as their OT1 on their big board, but would be fine with Neal or Cross, but do not feel tied down to or, you know, definitely have to draft an offensive tackle. They're fine, according to Jordan Ronan, waiting until a day two where they have a few guys that they like. So we'll get to those guys that they like in a moment, but for, uh, according to Ronan, by the way, these are just per his sources. So everything we do in this rumor section, I want to say this before we move on, is just per these sources from these beat guys or whoever has them, which should be taken with a grain of salt considering how close we are to the draft, but they're fun to discuss nonetheless. So let's start there, Nick, your thoughts on that first rumor. I think they're going to go right tackle anyways with one of those two top 10 picks, but in terms of Ronan's rumor, it seems like there's a cluster of second round tackles that 
a lot of people around the draft community are high on guys who were viewed as, you know, late round three. And now they're kind of getting pushed up to round two, the Abraham Lucases of the world, the Luke Gedekis of the world, from central Michigan. He is the teammate of Bernard Raymond. I watched Raymond's film, Ryman's film, my bad. And I saw Gedeke. I didn't study him. And I was like, oh, this guy's solid, but I didn't really pay much mind to him. So the Giants forego selecting a tackle in the top 10 you best believe dan and i will be watching so much film on the abraham lucas and the luke getty the world i don't think that's going to happen but if that does we will be watching so much film thursday night into friday morning right before day two i think he named luke getty as one and that the second wasn't actually ryman who i actually really like Ryman, and I'd be perfectly happy if they don't go. No, get a key is his teammate, though, is what I'm saying. Okay, Ryman's right, probably right. going to be selected in the first round. Uh, that remains to be seen, given the age. I love Ryman because I think he's just scratching the surface. I'm a big fan in general of those tackles who haven't played the position for a while and then yet show a ton of upside and really good film and good numbers, despite not playing. But the ones he mentioned were get a key, and he said they would have to get him at the top of round two at 36. Obviously, that's not something I'd be a huge fan of considering who I think will be on the board at 36, but I'll just trust the Giants in general when it comes to evaluating these players. And the other person he said was Sean Ryan, who could be potentially the pick at the top of uh, day three or top of round three later on in day two. I think you'd be happy with that one, right, Nick? Not really for right tackle. I just don't know if he has the (laughs) foot speed to consistently cut off the angles of those wide nine rushers. I like Sean Ryan a lot. Yeah, I think he would ideally be used inside but i think you can draft him and then have him try tackle i'm just not 100 percent certain if he would be able to to transition and be completely effective so i think like we brought up with david syverson all of ryan's issues can be mitigated by moving him inside in terms of protecting his outside shoulder in terms of being out on an island and not necessarily being overly efficient in that area of his game but if you kick him inside he has the power the strength at the point of attack his hands are just ridiculously good i think he could be a really really dominant guard that's where i would love that but i ideally and i've not haven't wavered off this i don't believe you have either i want the giants to select one of those top three tackles and just kind of squash the question of the right tackle yeah and i guess i was only laughing there because i just don't like the plan like i don't really want to pass on any of these three it's different for me and you nick because we're higher on cross than some of the community so we're both perfectly fine with cross at five or seven a lot of people aren't and i laugh because a lot of these guys like sean ryan like tyler smith you know like multiple guys that could be there that we like in day in round two or three are just going to be better on the inside. And and a lot of people really think Icky is going to be better on the inside as well. Another rumor we got going here is from Jeremy Fowler, ESPN. So again, Ron on Fowler, same, same source. And again, I'll say this, we're naming off these guys because they're credited and they, and I would take their word over, you know, just random Joe Schmo and his source, but everything you hear before the draft, is a lot of misinformation for the most part. And it's kind of hard to figure out what is true and what's not. There will be some truth, just again, hard to figure out what that is. But he reports that the Giants have received multiple calls from teams about potentially trading into the number seven spot. And the sweet spot for the trade back will be the 11 to 14 range. What are your thoughts on that? 
Hey, I'm all about trading back, specifically if Ahmad Sauce Gardner is not on the board, maybe if Kayvon Thibodeau is not on the board, get more picks. I don't know if they would you know, land a one for 2023, probably not, but you get more day two picks for 2023 and 2022. I love that. And then you could still find, I feel like a good player, depending on who falls there at around that 14 range. So sign me up for it. I'm torn on it. I just don't really love the 11 to 14 range of players. I guess that's what it comes down to for me. Like, I, I don't even know what I would be per- preferring if that if that's the case. And there's just very few scenarios at seven where I don't get one of Gardner, Stingley, or Thibodeau if, if they take a tackle at five, the Giants, that is. Like, maybe there's a scenario where both Gardner and Stingley go and Thibodeau, and then it's like Trayvon Walker's the only edge left or Jermaine Johnson. Then I guess I could consider trading back. Let's say they trade back in that 11 14 range. What are you really happy? What are you personally, Nick? What would you be looking at there? I, I look at the board and I'm just like, every time I look at this board, I'm like, I don't, I just don't see anything I love in that 11 to 14 range. I'm looking at Kyle Hamilton, who could possibly fall that far. I think Daxton Hill. I mean, people are like, oh, no, he's like a one-two guy. I'm like, not for me. He's a first-round guy. Like, I would be fine with them selecting a Daxton Hill, the safety out of Michigan, at that area of the draft. They really want to address the offensive line. You can go with a Zion Johnson or a Kenyon Green. I don't think I would be completely upset if they did that. Ideally, I think I would want to go with another position group, but I think the value is there. And also wide receiver, which is something we haven't talked too much about on the podcast, the Giants going wide receiver. And I think there'll probably be one or two wide receivers off the board at that point. But if Jameson Williams is sitting there, do you entertain that? And I think that's a really interesting question that we haven't really talked too much about. So let's start with where you started at. Um, I could be interested in Zion there, though, again, some people would call it a reach. 11 to 14 is a little high for him. Remember, the Jets took, um, traded up actually for the, the beast dude from USC. Why am I forgetting his name? The guard. Who was it again? Last year? Oh, Elijah Vera Tucker. Elijah Vera Tucker. And it worked out. He was really good in his first year. Like, he took a lot of flack for that, Joe Douglas, for trading up for a guard and for just how early he took him. I believe it was like in a little after the 11 to 14 range, but it worked out. And I feel like Zion Johnson could be a similar case. I really like Zion Johnson. So I'd be intrigued by that. Dax Hill I like, but I just think I'd rather have Derek Stingley's upside as a true man boundary corner than Dax Hill plus whatever pick they get because they're not going to get a first. If they trade from 7 to 11, it's not for a first. It's for another day two pick. When Again, it's a deep class, but I just think I'd rather have Stingley's upside there. And then as far as we get down to the receivers, I'm just not interested at all in taking a first-round receiver. There's just been too much evidence lately of the value of taking the receivers in, in the top of round two or even round three. And added to that, I don't think any of these receivers are really great bets to be alpha wide receiver ones. I like Williams. He's my wide receiver one because he has rare traits that could be Tyreek Hill-esque like a Jalen Waddle. But I'm really looking more at this point, Nick, for the true alpha X's that George Pickens has that profile. I like him, but I wouldn't take him that early. Um, And for me, as I get further, like Traylon Burks could be that, but he's got a long way to go. I still think he could be that, though, so I'd be interested in him, but probably not at 11 or 12 or 13 or 14. So I just run out of options. I don't want Devin Lloyd there. And ultimately, I would think I would prefer to just go with the what I think is a rare blue chip guy in Derek Stingley. Now I'm trying to play out a nightmare scenario in my mind where Stingley is even off the board. And I think the only way that happens is the giants select a tackle at five. And that's the only tackle that is gone and say Carolina for whatever reason doesn't go tackle. So in that case, say Thibodeau Hutchinson, 
Evan Neal, the Giants select, Derek Stingley Jr., Sauce Gardner, and Trayvon Walker, Jermaine Johnson are gone. And then you're sitting there at seven. Would you just want to go with a Jermaine Johnson or Trayvon Walker, whichever one is still available? Or would you take that trade back and get that, that extra day two pick? Yeah, that's a great, great scenario that you laid out. And I want to say it's not as nightmarish as it may, or it's not as outlandish as it could. It's definitely nightmarish. It's not as outlandish as it could <laughs> seem because the odds have dropped. Like Derek's, the odds for first corner off the board were Ahmad Gardner minus 500 for a while. And now it's like Ahmad Gardner minus 185. That's how much people are, are, that's how much buzz Stingley's getting as a top five pick right now. And there's a very good chance both could come off the board. And in that scenario, I'm open to trading back. I just think I'd prefer at that point, Nick, to try to do the full out trade back into the 20s with the Steelers. I think at that point, I want to get a first round pick with my trade back. I don't care about I would rather have a first next year than and, and pick in the pick in the late teens or, or 20s, let's say, than I would rather have 11 through 14 and a second or and a third or something like that, a day two pick. I want that opportunity to have two first round picks. And I also just think that there's going to be a player 10, 12 picks later in that first round. That's pretty comparable to what they're going to get at 11 or 14 anyway, unless they want one of those pass rushers. And then they're like, okay, maybe we can drop back and we'll get Johnson there or Walker, whoever it may be. Um, and so, or even they might like her lap this too, who knows? But again, I just feel like I look at this class and, I don't. I don't really see it in that in that middle range. I'm happy the Giants don't have a pick in that range because personally, I I think the back end of the first might be even you know pretty similar in value. Yeah, back end of the first, well into the second round, and I think that's right. the interesting part of this draft. Like the fact that there are reports coming out that George Karloftis and Tyler Lindebaum might fall out of the first round. There was somebody else involved in that report as well. I mean, could you imagine being Jacksonville and having Tyler Lindebaum sitting there for you if you wanted to go in that direction? I mean, Doug Peterson ran a lot of zone type of concepts when he was with the Philadelphia Eagles, and Lindebaum fits very well into that. He could possibly be there, and I don't care what anybody says, and I get his arm length and, and all that, and I think it's all very, very solid points. But when you watch Lindebaum's tape, dude, that dude is so fun as a run blocker, so agile, and such a good athlete. That man, if you get him into the right scheme, he could be a dominant center in this league. We haven't talked a lot about Linderbaum, so I did want to bring him up. I'm I'm glad you kind of just led that cue there without knowing that I was going to bring him up within a matter of moments anyway, because I think Linderbaum's an interesting case here. I heard somebody on a podcast, Ben Solak, who I really like a lot, who's not a fan of Linderbaum, say something that really stood out to me and it really made me kind of rethink, you know, where I was at with Linderbaum in general. He talked about how Linderbaum really didn't have much, many snaps or many examples of playing a big-ass nose in the Big Ten that he's going to see at the NFL level. And what he said is, if you're taking Linderbaum, you better hope that you run outside zone. You have a, a almost zone-only type blocking scheme. And then what happens if your offensive coordinator gets a head coaching job? Now are you forced to promote within? Because you can't go away from that. If you have Linderbaum, you can't go away from that. You can't put him at guard. He's not going to be able to play guard. He's a center only. And so, yeah, I think you're right. He can be a great value for a zone scheme. But it really limits yourself and narrows yourself to what you want to do on offense, to who can be your coordinator, to what kind of system you're running. And to me, that does devalue him a little bit. And I'm not as high based. like That one point stood out to me. 
big time from Solak. I thought it was an excellent point because he's so uh, he's one of the few scheme specific players who people love in this class or, you know, who people would see as insane value, quote unquote, if he drops the day two. And I just don't know if scheme specific makes if, if, if you have that moniker and you really are scheme specific. I don't know if you're ultimately this unreal value. I thought it was well known that he was scheme specific. You're not going to really necessarily want him to be blocking straight up in a duo type of rushing scheme. He's definitely more of a horizontal rushing type of blocker on those outside stretch zone type of plays, which proliferate around the NFL at the moment. But even within that scheme, I believe that he is a dominant run blocker, but it was always known that he was scheme specific. Right. But the point is not that it's, you know, what can he do? The point is, if you take somebody who's scheme specific and can only play one position within that scheme, that's a pretty narrow, that's a pretty narrow lens to draft somebody. And I'm not saying you don't draft him there. And I'm not saying he's not a good player. If, especially if you're going to be running that system, if you're running, uh, if you're like a 49ers, a Dolphins, any of these teams, and you're running that it's great. But what happens when you change systems? What happens when you change coaching staffs? Now you have a player who can't play guard and maybe he can't play center within your system at the NFL level. That's to me, it's not a guarantee given his size and given some of the limitations he has as a player and just what he faced at the collegiate level versus what he's going to face at the NFL level. So I thought, I mean, I think it's a good point, but I don't, but I can, I can definitely understand the pushback. Obviously you don't want to draft him. And then if you do switch schemes, which I mean, a lot of people use outside zone, stretch zone, but say you go with the polar opposite, then he becomes a lesser commodity. And I, and I get that a hundred percent. And that's probably the main reason that knee, what one percentile arm length or whatever the heck he has. It's one reason why he's falling out of the first round, despite the dominant tape. Yeah. I think it's a big reason why he's falling out of the the first round. Um, and also a reason why I'm not I, like, I think I'd prefer Kenyon green and Zion Johnson to him on the giants personally. Yeah. And they're more versatile too, because the center that's the reason why. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. With Zion, man, and and Kenny Green. Kenny Green's played everywhere. Like that's something that we don't talk about too much. Like that dude, he's more than likely gonna be a guard in the NFL, but he's played tackle and he was he was solid. He was a solid tackle at the SEC level, and he's just damn powerful and he can move people off the line of scrimmage. You're not gonna have to worry about that at all with Kenyon Green. So the fact that he was someone who was falling out of the first round, I'm sitting there at 36, I'm like, man, the Giants, they could double up offensive line if they want to, or if they trade back with say the Chiefs and get like those two picks at the back end of the first round and Kenyon Green's still sitting there. I mean, that's something that I think I would love to have. And same with Zion Johnson, where I feel like it's a little bit more technically advanced than Kenyon Green with his hands and his feet and his positioning, but probably not as powerful. But either way, I would I would welcome both of those types of players. And I don't think they're necessarily like I think Kenyon Green fits better in a duo blocking and better in a gap scheme. But I think he can and he's athletic enough to play in a zone, wide zone type of scheme. And Zion Johnson probably better for zone, but I think he is powerful enough and strong enough to work those duo blocks. And he also did really well working in unison with his teammates on those combo blocks, which are so important and in inside zone in duo and even outside zone when just your natural feel, when you're just chipping, then you climb up to the second level, locate a scraping linebacker. I feel like both of those guys are interchangeable in really any system. And those are two dudes that if the trade back does happen, I mean, man, I, I think I would welcome that to be honest. Yeah, and I want to throw Tyler Smith in there too to convert to the to, you know to draft him and then put him on the inside. Though some people think you know despite the deficiencies he can actually play on the outside, but I would like him on the inside. I think he'd be really good there. It's another player I'd probably consider at least at the very least over a player like Linderbaum. I just get scared of Linderbaum. He reminds me of the and he's a better player. I know that, but he reminds me so much of when the Giants got super excited and took Weston Richburg really early in that draft. And I just 
Richburg never made it with the Giants, had to try to go to that 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 San Fran scheme. And obviously the injuries were a factor there too. But I just those undersized center only types are just not I, I they just don't jump out the out, out the page to me as guys who should be definitely drafted inside the top thirty two. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, I think he's a top 32 player for sure, but like we already mentioned, it's, it's going to come down to the team, the scheme yeah. and all of that. Yep. And I totally get that. And look, if you don't, don't, don't quote me on this. Cause if he ends up going to one of those zone heavy schemes, he's probably going to be an absolute beast and they're going to love him there. So I totally, totally get that. All right. Let's talk a little bit about, um, I guess that's kind of it right now. Have you heard any other rumors or any other reports about what the giants are going to do? Man, there are so many rumors. There are, yeah, flying around. So it, it's kind of hard to parse through them all, to be honest. Like, do you want to do something fun here, Dan, and just say if the Giants stay put, who the heck is going to be a New York Giant? Um, yeah, you could. You, we we could. We could try to guess what's going to happen. I mean, we're hours away at this point. I know, man. I mean, I'm down to Cross and Neil, and I'm battling it. And you hear so many conflicting reports on which way they're going to go. And Charles Cross's name has been linked to the Giants for months now. And if it is Charles Cross, like, I'm fine with that. I prefer Evan Neal. But if it is Charles Cross, I'm going to be like, dude, how the heck does everybody always know what the, what the Giants are going to do? <laughs> it's something that's leaked out, I feel like, every freaking year. Yeah, it seems like it's leaked out every single year. And we'll see if that's the case. But it's probably hard, I guess, to kind of conceal what you – during the pre-draft process – what you want, who you like, because if you're sending like position coaches to people's pro days and you're taking them out to dinner and that gets leaked and their agents talk about it and then you're working on drills, like it's just easy to see and to read the tea leaves and to watch that steady drumbeat building connecting you to one player. But if I had to make my prediction now, it's going to be based on the odds that these sports books have, because to be quite honest, these sports books are putting up big money, or, you know, are playing with big money. People's, you know, jobs are on the line and they tend to get these things right all, all the time. It's crazy. Like they might must have great inside sources, actual inside sources, not like these fake rumors. And their inside sources have dropped Evan Neal to five and a half. His over under was four and a half, which tells me that teams in the top four are not so interested in Evan Neal. It doesn't tell me the Giants are interested in Evan Neal because the number's still at five, five and a half. So I think ultimately the Giants will draft Evan Neal at five. I think he's going to drop there. I, I do believe the report that he is their OT1. And I think Neal will be the pick at five. Seven is where it gets more interesting. So before I go to seven, my prediction there, I want to ask you what's going to happen at five. At five, I think if Evan Neal is there and they're comfortable with the medicals, like I, I have no inside information on, on what's going on with all these medical concerns. If, they, if it's, I think Walter Football reported it, it's getting thrown out there. I don't know if it's smoked. I have no idea. But if they're comfortable with that, I, I think they would go with someone like Evan Neal and he would fit very nicely in at right tackle for the New York Giants. Now, if I'm betting, I think I'm going to go in that direction, but I'm a little hesitant because I don't know what the Jets and Texans are going to do. Cause I could see the Jets going with Jermaine Johnson or Kayvon Thibodeau. I could see them going with Icky Aquanu, which doesn't affect the Neil or cross pick five with the giants. But if I'm the Texans too, it's like, how long is Laramie Tunsil going to be here? Do you trust Tyus Howard who I've, who I've heard had a good season? Somebody they drafted in the first round that to pick up his fifth year option, I believe um, sometime in the next week. But if you're trying to rebuild a franchise, getting a, top offensive tackle is probably a priority if you're the Texans, right? I mean, I, and with three of them there, I, I I could see them going in that direction. It's hard to get into Nick Casario's head. So I don't know if Evan Neal is even going to be there at five. So if Neal is off the board, 
I wouldn't be shocked if it's Charles Cross, man. If they just sit there at five, select Charles Cross, and say if all those tackles went before or some of the tackles went before the Giants pick at five, then that means there's going to be value there at seven. And I could totally see the Carolina Panthers screwing the Giants over, trading back, getting more draft assets because they're picking at like 137 after the sixth pick, and then somebody jumping the Giants to select like a sauce gardener at six. Yeah, it could easily happen, though. I would be surprised to see if a team trades up for a corner just personally. Um, and I guess that's where my prediction at seven would go. I, I actually just have this weird feeling that Stingley's going to go ahead of Gardner and Gardner's going to be there at seven. And I, I think I'd predict if I had to guess now that Gardner will be the pick at seven. I heard a lot of like rumors about the Texans taking Stingley out for dinner. <laughs> the dinner rumors, Dan, I, you, you love to hear it, but that they're very, very interested in Stingley. And that could be one of those like shocks that he ends up going third. And I, if you have the odds in front of you, let me know. Have, aren't the odds like a three and a half, four or something like that for Derek Stingley? Like they shot up from where they were just last week. Yeah, Stingley has dropped all the way from an over-under of 12 and a half at one point. I think I got it at 12 and a half. It actually was at 13 and a half before his pro day. And then I bought it immediately at 12 and a half. Then it went to 11 and a half. Now it's seven and a half over under with negative juice on the under, which suggests they want you to bet the over because money's coming in on the under. Um, so just crazy to see that. And Gardner's kind of fluctuated, but now he's at five and a half minus 150. So it's probably safer for me to actually predict Stingley will be the second pick for the Giants. But I have this odd feeling it's going to be Gardner. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked, man. I, mean, I would love to land a tackle in Gardner. It's something that we've been saying for almost a month now. And I'm also just curious on what the heck the Jets are going to do. I mean, Mikai Becton supposedly put on a ton of weight and is not really on a great terms with Joe Douglas and the coaching staff. Who knows how true that is? But if you're the Jets and you know Joe Douglas likes to invest in the offensive line, you need to protect Zach Wilson. Doesn't it make sense to select one of those top tackles in the top five? And then you have the 10th pick. You can go edge there, but you also want wide receiver. So I guess they do have several different needs. But, man, I could see them going tackle as well. They're supposedly linked to Iki Aquanu. That makes some sense. And then who do you have? You have George Fant who played solidly last year. I mean, that's a solid guy to have along your offensive line. He seems to be outplaying what he did in Seattle. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. All right, let's talk a little bit about the fifth-year options because we did hear today the Giants have finalized their draft board and they're now planning to meet. And by they, I mean Joe Shane and his front office are now planning to meet with ownership to discuss their final draft board and then also to discuss what they're going to do with the fifth-year option for Daniel Jones. We can only assume that means they're also going to discuss what to do with the fifth-year option for Dexter Lawrence. Another first-round pick, obviously their third first-round pick of that class, DeAndre Baker, no longer with the team, so really just two to decide from. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
you know, do you, I saw a lot of people complaining like, oh, the Giants are the only team that meets with ownership to make this type of decision. It's like, no, no, that's not true. The owners have a say in every single franchise. They run, they own the team. They want, are obviously going to make a decision. They're obviously going to be part of a decision on a quarterback and picking up a fifth year option. So to me, that was just crazy talk. I don't care about that. I'm not worried about Mary getting a say in this, um, though I am worried because I think he's got rose colored glasses on when it comes to Daniel Jones, but I didn't think ultimately he's going to have the full say. I think it's going to come down to Shane and what, and what Dable wants mostly, but uh, what the combination of them want, but Dable, what he wants to be, you know, what he wants in his next quarterback. Um, and so what are your thoughts on both of those options? You can start with Daniel Jones. And if you have any thoughts on kind of the giants ownership meeting with, uh, with, with the front office to make this decision. No, I don't really have a thought on that. I mean, this is a quarterback, the face of your franchise. They should meet with the owner. It doesn't mean that John Mayer is going to be like, well, I don't care what you think. We're doing this. Like, I just think that you meet with the owner, you discuss it, and then you give the reasons why, if you're the general manager, why you want to pick it up or why you want to reject it. I don't necessarily think it's it's too huge of a deal in my personal opinion. But as for the options, the Daniel Jones one was $22 million. Dexter Lawrence, a little bit north of $10 million. I want them to pick up the Dexter Lawrence one. I said that months ago, and I feel like they probably will. As for Daniel Jones, I don't think they will. I lean in that direction, and I think that's probably what will end up happening. We've seen contracts go to the defensive line this past free agent cycle that were around $10 million for players that I feel like aren't as effective as Dexter Lawrence. So that's where I stand on those two. Yeah, um, very concise thoughts on that. And I, I want to expand on that too. With Daniel Jones, you know, the argument is you take him now. The, the argument from the pro Jones side is you take the option now, guarantee him the 22 million, and then you don't have to get yourself stuck with either franchise tagging him or, you know, signing to a massive extension. But that argument kind of falls apart when you consider that there's no real market right now for Daniel Jones. We heard, or I heard last year around the midseason point that day three pick not even day two, a day three pick is what teams were willing to trade for Daniel Jones. That's where they value him. At least that's where one front office that I exact I talked to valued him. And so now that's one year later, he had a major injury after that it was literally before the injury. He's had an injury, another injury since a neck injury. He's off the rookie deal. There's just no trade market for him. And I don't see them being a massive free agent market for him either. Look at what, Jameis Winston just signed for a player in a similar age range and a similar kind of experience range this offseason. And there's plenty of examples of signing of, of players in that range. Mitchell Trubisky last year who signed a $2.5 million deal. Why are we viewing Jones any differently? This is the thing I don't understand. Everyone's like, if he balls out, you got to, you got to franchise tag him. Well, first of all, let's wait to see if he, if he even has ball out in his realm of possibilities. If he plays decently well, then that like Jameis Winston played decently well for the Saints. Jameis Winston had a winning record for the Saints. If he has that type of season, like what Jameis Winston has, but he makes it through the entire season, which would be the first time in his career, I don't really see them being some kind of crazy market for him. And ultimately, if you don't tag him and you don't have him guaranteed for 22 million, people are like, that's a pretty cheap price to pay for the upside. Well, I don't know if you're losing out on all that much, especially with Tyrod Taylor under contract. So I just don't really see the case for the Daniel Jones thing. The Dexter Lawrence thing is interesting, Nick, because I started letting him on let him walk just because they have so much invested in Leonard Williams already at the IDL position. And because obviously you can get IDLs insanely late in the draft, insane values, just all littered throughout day three. Great players who can step right in on day one. But 
Lawrence is still young. He's flashed at times as a pass rusher, not quite frequently enough as I want him to. And given the free agent market and kind of the explosion of people paying ideals like Lawrence, who aren't that great pass rushers, there will be a market for him. And the cap's about to take a massive jump next year, in addition to the Giants having what's projected to be the third most cap space. So I'm okay paying it. I'm okay allocating that money to IDL and taking the chance that Lawrence can take a, take another step in his career. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm at. I didn't wasn't sure if we were going to be lockstep, but I figured we would be if, if you uh, viewed the Dexter Lawrence situation in the same light that I did. But with Daniel Jones, I'm right there with you. I'm looking at 2023 now. If – Daniel Jones plays really well. Would they give him a small deal? Is that a, in the realm of possibility? Something like you said with the Mitchell Trubisky, do you think Daniel Jones and his agent will really hold the giants hostage? Or is there even like a likely outcome to where that could even materialize or happen? I don't know. It's crazy to think about though. Like if you, if you, let's say he balls out, which is like the system's perfect for him with Dable. Tony plays to his potential. Galladay plays up. The O-line comes together in an insanely fast fashion. And he just puts up big time numbers for the first time in his career. If that happens and you go into contract negotiations, say the agent does want to hold the Giants hostage and says, oh, you know what? You got to make me one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL or franchise tag me. And that's where all these fans are saying, see, that's why you should have picked up the $22 million guaranteed option. By the way, it's guaranteed. They're stuck. With, they would be stuck with him just like the, the Panthers are stuck with Darnold right now, paying it a stupid number for Sam Darnold. And so their, their argument is, see, you don't want to be in that spot. But it's like, would that agent really have any ground to stand on? Because what the can't we still look at the full body of work here instead of just saying, wow, this guy balled out in a situation where no one has any film on how he's operating within that new system. And let's say in year two, they start to take away things that worked in that Brian Dable system for Daniel Jones. Uh Oh, maybe he's not the same player. There's one year of him in a new system, or there's the three years before it where he put together bad film, got injured all the time. And so you have three years of injuries and bad film, and then one year of good film in a new system. I shouldn't say three years. His rookie season was okay. He had some good stretches. It's a bit overrated by fans because of the high touchdown count, if we're going to be honest about the situation. And there was no consistency throughout until the end of the season where they played a lot of bad teams. But if you look at the full scope of him at that point, are you really saying going into that, that this guy deserves to be one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL or franchise tag him. Those are the only two options. When you have one really good season under your belt out of four, that just seems crazy to me. It seems, yeah, exactly. It seems absolutely ridiculous. And that's why I'm not overly aggressive in trying to pursue and pick up that fifth year option. Even if he does ball out, like you said, dude, I don't think he's going to be like, oh, we got to reset the quarterback market. Like he doesn't have the track record to do that. Right. He doesn't have any cachet to do that or pedigree. Yeah, he was the sixth overall pick and he was overdrafted, to be honest. I think it's safe to say that at this point, but I don't believe that that would happen if he even balls out, which is kind of unlikely. I think he could play well. I think he can look good. I think he's a functional quarterback. I don't think he's somebody that you want to invest a ton of money in at least it's not something that he's proven yet i think you're right there nick and i also think the other thing with this is look if he was drafted in the second round the middle of the second round by the giants where a lot of people the majority had a grade on him for would anyone really and let's say there was some weird like exception in the nfo rules where you can have a fifth year option on a, on a second round pick just for the argument's sake it's a hypothetical would anyone really be viewing this as somebody you have to Take you can't take a risk on losing next year. You can't take a risk on losing the 20 million on 
no, I think Giants fans would be like, all right, well, this is it. Like we had our chance with him. He'll play out his rookie contract and that's probably it. We're not really worried about any kind of scenario where he just breaks out randomly in year four and we're forced with a decision where we either have to franchise tag him or ha have him reset the market. But because he was the sixth overall pick and because he's had this bad O-line and injuries at receiver and Jason Garrett, everyone just seems to be like, all right, well, we can't take this or not everyone. The fans who want to pick up this option are like, we can't take this risk. We can't possibly take this risk. There's too much upside. There's too much that can be lost. And I just think it would be so different if he was picked where a lot of people projected him to go originally. Absolutely. And I also wonder how we would view him because there's just a different view that you have when someone is a top. Yeah. 10 pick and he was selected at six. <laughs> I'm also wondering if Carolina is going to do the same thing. I don't think they'll go quarterback, but it, it's kind of mirrors the Daniel Jones situation a little bit. Only there's no Kyler Murray in, in this draft, but they're, they're a mess right now. And I, I still think they're going to screw us just to reiterate. <laughs> what do you think they're going to screw us with? Who do you think they're going to take? No, I don't know if they're going to take anybody. I, I could see the giants taking a tackle at five. And then, you know, depending on how the board falls, there being another player. And we're like, Oh man, Carolina's not going to select a cornerback, you know, Ahmad Salz Gardner sitting there or Derek Stingley is sitting there all oh, sweet. And then they're going to trade out of it. But again, oh, like, you trade good, out. that's what, you yeah. Mean. Which is something that I feel like happens to the giants a lot, man. They were jumped twice. in what draft was that? The Leonard Floyd draft with Jack Conklin too. Was that like 2015? I think it was. Remember when they were jumped twice or was that 2016? And uh, I think they were also jumped back in like 20, was it 2012 with David Wilson? When it would, I think uh, the giants yeah, they wanted Doug Martin. Yeah, they wanted Boise State's Doug Martin, the little muscle hamster, and instead they go with David Wilson, who you know was an excellent athlete and fortunately had the spinal stenosis. I think they were jumped, or maybe Tampa Bay just was sitting there. I'm not 100% sure with that one, but either way, I just have a feeling. That was my Damien Pierce comp, by the way. A, a, a stronger, thicker, less speedy, for sure, and less bursty version of Doug Martin. Yeah, Doug Martin was also like, what, five seven five eight or something he was small if i'm not mistaken yeah pierce isn't too much bigger like i think he tested oh, yeah. just under 510 oh okay yeah then yeah that, that's actually not that bad of a comp to you i wouldn't yeah i think you're right though he's not as he doesn't have the speed yeah yeah but doug martin was fun man he was fun early on in his career too yeah you're right. he really was a great player until he got he also had some bad injuries too there all right let's take a look one final thing that that um we never went over. Like, it's just fun to finally do on the, the final eve before the draft. What if the Giants, well, how crazy would it be if the Giants shocked the world and took a quarterback at five or seven? Hey, if you want to, to get a quarterback and not have somebody trade in front of you, what this better way, way to do it? Yeah. yeah, this is the perfect way. They've given off literally no smoke whatsoever. No, no smoke whatsoever. You don't bring it up. You're like, ah, yeah, these quarterbacks suck. And then you start telling everybody, yeah, these quarterbacks suck. And then they go out and they tell idiots like us, hey, the quarterbacks suck. And we're like, yeah, you're right. The quarterbacks do suck. <laughs> Lo and behold, we end up with Malik Willis. Hey, man, crazier things have happened. Do I think that's going to happen? Absolutely not. But, you know, crazier shit's happened. People do talk about how Joe Sheen went to two Liberty games, which is interesting. But he did. Yeah, yeah it is really interesting, but because there's no one else to really go to those games for. It's not like you're going, there's literally no one to go to those Liberty games for, but Malik Willis. And doing your due diligence, you, you yeah. can say that. I'm sure that they were, they were definitely interested, but at the end of the day, I'm I'm hoping they don't go in that direction. Because, I mean, we, we watch film, and I haven't done an evaluation on Malik Willis either. But from what I've seen, there's definitely a lot of... Um, a lot of things that need to be ironed out. It would it would take a little bit. I also think the situation, look, he has Daniel Jones. We wouldn't have to start at all this year. And he can right. learn uh, with Mike Kafka, with Daniel Jones, with Tyrod Taylor, with 
there are worse situations out there, even though the New York Giants aren't in a great spot, but you wouldn't be forced to play, which I feel like is an interesting thought. At the end of the day, obviously, I don't want it. I'm just kind of putting myself in that scenario and kind of viewing it from that spectrum. I think you're 100% right. People underestimate how good the situation actually would be coming to the Giants because Malik Willis is a player who I think if you draft, you don't start in year one. I think it's a very similar scenario to Trey Lance. He's an even raw prospect to Trey Lance, though though in some ways you know, is similar to Trey Lance. He's not as big as Trey Lance, obviously, but you know has a lot of arm talent and has a lot of speed as a runner and even raw than Lance. So I think it's a nice situation. You sit behind Jones, you go into year two, you might not even have to start yet because you have Tyrod Taylor, who kind of is also a smaller quarterback and has some similar traits to Malik Willis in in the fact that he throws a nice touch deep ball. Malik Willis, the thing people don't realize about Willis because he just has such a rocket arm with a lot of velocity. He throws the NFL throws well, which is kind of those tight window stuff, the outs and, you know, the hole beaters. But he has really good touch on his deep pass over the top. That's like the trait that really stands out to me the most about Malik Willis. But he needs a long, he has a long way to go still. So Giants situation wouldn't be terrible for him if they went Willis at five and then they took one of the tackles at seven. And now you have Andrew Thomas in the tackle for your next quarterback, which in that case would be Willis. Ultimately, I don't think they're going to do it, though. I don't think they're going to shock the world because I do believe, I've heard this, and I do believe that Brian Dable wants a bigger quarterback uh, for his next quarterback, somebody who has more size. And so that's probably the reason why I think they'll pass on him. In addition to anything else. That's interesting because Bryce Young, I think he's only like six one. Yeah, he's a quarterback out of Alabama who's going to be discussed a lot next draft cycle. But I mean, we just got to get through this one first, Dan. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Yeah, we do. All right. Let's. We've talked a lot about this. Let's do. We'll, we'll keep this brief. I promise, because we've gone on for a while. Briefly, let's go over a list of my guys. A final list that we can just throw out there into the ether, so people listening to the show can hear it. They can write these guys down if they want. Feel free to give a line on why or just not. I'm going to keep mine super brief for the for the sake of the podcast. You and and I I don't have to give that warning to you, Nick. So, but just in case, I'll give you that one as well. So, start with just your guy, a guy that you think. And again, my guys is something that a lot of draft analysts do for fun. It's uh, just for those who don't know. I'll give a little preamble here. Essentially, it's guys that you really like that really stand out to you that you go to bat for that you feel are either a great value at where they're being projected or just somebody who you would who you think can really help the Giants per se for in our example uh, if they draft them. So I have a bunch and we have a lot of shared ones to be honest. So I'm going to go over a couple guys that weren't on your list. Okay. And first, I have Jeremy Rucker in there. I think there is projection, which gives me a little bit of that's a tight end from Ohio State, which gives me a little bit of pause. But I, from everything I've seen, I've seen soft hands, good receiving ability. I've seen some nuance in his route running. I think he is a solid to good overall athlete. He's not going to take the top off of defense. He doesn't have the long opening strides in the vertical ability of maybe a Greg Dulcich, but he can be a short to intermediate target who can run effective seam routes. And then I've just seen him as an H back F sniffer, whatever you want to call him, be an absolute dog as a blocker. I think he loses slowly enough as Y tight end to hold up at the point of attack on even play side runs sometimes. So I've liked what I've seen from blocking. I think there's more potential as a receiver that we didn't see in college because he was playing with Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, and just the rest of the five-star dudes up there at Ohio State. Wasn't a focal point, but if he was on another team as a four-star prospect, I think he would have been much more utilized as a receiver. So I like Jeremy Rucker. I also love Charlie Kohler out of Iowa State. 
I would say he has a little bit more receiving production, maybe even a little bit more receiving upside. Not as good as a blocker, but I felt like he was someone who tried and put his effort out there. And I know people associate that with Evan Ingram a lot, which isn't necessarily great. But Charlie Kohler is going to be like a fourth, fifth round pick. Evan Ingram was a first round. Like Jahan Dotson a lot. Wide receiver out of Penn State. Very, very good route runner. Makes catches away from his body that he just shouldn't be making. He's not the biggest guy. He might need to improve his play strength a little bit, but you want to talk about one of the best route runners in this class at all three levels of the field. It's Jahan Dotson. I don't think he'll be there at 36 for the New York Giants, but I really do like him. And then Cam Taylor Britt wasn't on your list. He's in the Nebraska cornerback who played a lot of zone over there at Nebraska. I think he does have man coverage ability. He was smaller than I expected, but you want to talk about someone who's very, very physical and that I believe can be moved around, maybe even used at safety a little bit. It's Cam Taylor Britt. Depending Depending on where he's going to be drafted, if it's around the third round, fourth round, I absolutely love that. And then Luke Fortner, I'm a huge fan of the center from Kentucky. Just think he is always where he needs to be. Takes great angles up to the second level, great angles on the line of scrimmage. Not flashy, not the strongest, but always in position and strong enough, has the functional power to hold up at the point of attack and move up bodies enough on the line of scrimmage. Also loves Amir White, the running back out of Georgia. Just two ACLs in his past. You want to talk about someone who falls through contact, has the burst, gets to the second level, can run through safeties and cornerbacks. I really like what he offers. Just the medicals are going to be an issue with him. So actually a few names we share there on uh, on both lists. Kolar is on my list. Fortner's on my list. And so is uh, uh, Zamir White. A couple guys that are that are also on my list that aren't on your list. I'll start here with Tyler Smith, the offensive lineman at of Tulsa. I watch him, and he's everything I'm expected to see when I watch Trevor Penning. I think he could be a better player than Penning. I think he has a great attitude. I think he could be a really good guard for the Giants for a really long time, and I would love him at 36. George Pickens, another player. If the off-field stuff isn't real, if the Giants deem him to deem that to not be a problem, give me him over Jahad Donson every day because he's got what I want, which is ex-prototype upside. He's six foot three. He's one of the best deep ball trackers I watched in the class. He can make, he can high point catches. He is better. He wins vertically despite not having unbelievable elite speed. I want X guys. If I'm taking a receiver in the top 36, I don't want a five foot 10 or five or six foot receiver unless he's a freak. And I think that George Pickens fits the bill. I also think I saw weird. Maybe it's because they both played at Georgia, but I saw shades AJ green when I watched him. And that stands out to me. Another player on my list like that would be Justin Ross, the wide receiver out of Clemson. When you're taking these day three picks, stop focusing on injury. Take injury risk. It makes a lot of sense. Most of these picks are bust anyway. Taking a guy who would have been a first round pick without the injury. Justin Ross is that. Damone Clark, the linebacker at LSU, same thing. Would have been not a first round pick or even an early second like Ross. But, and I don't know what Ross would have been if he wasn't healthy, first or second. Clark probably would have been a mid-second, but you're going to be able to get him in round five or six because he's not playing next season. I love that kind of upside. Giants don't need him to play right now anyway. I'm going to throw on Christian Watson to the list. Again, similar to George Pickens. I think he can be a true X because he has size on the outside. I think they're different players, but I think what he brings to the table is elite kind of speed. I've spoken at length about Tyquan Thornton, who's on both of our lists, the wide receiver out of Baylor. Ty Chandler's not on Nick's list, but he's on my list. The running back out of UNC. I've spoken about him at length as well, so I won't go any further on that one. A couple other guys I want to throw on here. Marcus Jones, Nick out of Houston. Look, I get it. He's so undersized here at five foot eight, but I think the floor is he's going to help you in special teams. And the ceiling is he's going to be like Asante Samuel Jr. last year, who everybody slept on. The Chargers stole him in the second round. Me and Nick loved watching his tape. We thought Asante Samuel was freaking awesome. 
Son Samuel Jr., he's obviously the son, was freaking awesome. And then he was amazing year one. And it's like, oh, wait, the size didn't matter. So I think that he's not as good of a player. I'm not comparing the two at all. But it just reminds me of that with the sleeper uh, type of thing there. Kyle Phillips is on both of our lists, the wide receiver out of UCLA, the slot guy. I also have on my list Alec Pierce. I don't think Nick has Alec Pierce, the receiver out of Cincinnati. I also have on my list a player I don't think Nick has, Jake Ferguson, the tight end of Wisconsin. But I know you like Ferguson, Nick, so I think he should be on your my guys list because I've talked to you off pod. You're you're you've supported my Ferguson love. So I love Ferguson. Yeah, I, I just I, uh, I didn't put Ferguson on my list because he was more of a guy that you turned me on to. So I was okay. like, okay, and I'm gonna let Dan have that, but I'm also gonna wax poetic about him yeah. because I do believe I, I think he's wildly slept on in, during this process. Fair enough. And then I'll wrap this up the best way I could. Well, actually, I forgot to say Cordell Flott, the corner at LSU. I want to make sure I say him because he's somebody I would really like on day three for the Giants. But I just love his length and I love his ability. I think he's going to be able to play slot or the outside. And then the final guy I want to throw on here is no way to better sum this up than throwing on linebacker at a linebacker U. That's Wisconsin. That's right. We're becoming linebacker U. And that's Jack Sanborn, who you're going to be able to get in round five or six. I think he can be what Ryan Connolly was going to be before the injury for the New York Giants. And he's a good system fit as well with Wink Martindale. So if they miss out on Leo Chanel early, I'm going to kind of hope they get Sanborn on day three somewhere. And then I want to wrap this up, Nick, by talking about some of the my guys we share who Giants fans can start to look out for if they fall to their pick at 36. If Daxton Hill somehow falls, the defensive back out of Michigan, sign Nick up, sign me up. We love him at 36. If Arnold Ebiketti somehow falls, the edge rusher out of Penn State, sign Nick up, sign me, me up. We love him at 36. Leo Chanel, another player on both of our lists. I'm not so sure, even though Nick has him as my guy, would you take him at 36 as a year guy? Because I would. I'd be perfectly fine taking him there, but I'm curious if you would. Leo Chanel, that's a little early for me, I think. I don't know, though. I I would entertain it. It would really depend on if Arnold Ebiketti is there. I think it would depend on what safeties are there, like if Lewisine falls that far or something like that. I think that's kind of where I'm at with, with Leo Chanel. I'm not going to be mad if it's the pick at 36, but I do see the limitations in his game. I think the best system to utilize him is Wink Martindale, though. Yeah, I just think, yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about why. I, I got a bold prediction coming there, so we'll save that. But, Ooh, like yeah, Lewis Seen, a player who is on both of our – it actually didn't make the our guys list, but I'm just saying me and Nick, I know I've already talked to you enough about him. That's a player we'd both like at 36, correct? Yes. Yes, another player we like at 36, somebody that you guys can keep an eye on. And then the rest of it, we've kind of gone over. I mean, there's a few more names that we've that we've said before, but those are kind of the guys we're really targeting there. And then, you know, you never know. Zion Johnson, Kenyon Green could drop, things of that nature. So just some guys to keep an eye on. All right, Nick, let's wrap this bad boy up before we do, you know, we're, we're nearing the point. I mean, we're, we're now, as the time we record this, what, 27 hours away, 26 hours away. So we, you probably won't hear from us until draft night. So I want to wrap this up with one or two or whatever you have, bold predictions or bold takes on this draft class. Honestly, I don't really have any bold takes. <laughs> I, I kind of want to get to your bold takes because I don't know what's going to happen because we don't have a consensus quarterback at the top of the class. I think there's going to be movement, but that's not really a bold take. And I also feel like a lot of my quote-unquote bold takes have all been said by people around national media already, like Quay Walker is going to go above Nicobe Dean and, and, and takes like that that I said weeks ago, but now it everybody else's take and i'm just like all right all right (laughs) i feel the same way i mean that was one of my takes i would quay walker is 100 percent quay walker is and should be drafted before nicobe dean 
for me, Nicobe Dean would be like my linebacker three in this class. I would take two linebackers over him. Um, so that one, I guess, has been exhausted. So I'll go with this one. When we look back at this class, Nick, Leo Chanel will be one of the 20 best pl- the 20 best players to come into this class because I think everybody's too focused on what he can't do. But the right coaches, and, and that's been the case, in, in my opinion, all, for throughout like the past 10, 15, forever, when you look at the draft process. Sometimes there's an over-focus on what players can't do. Oh, DK Metcalf, he can't turn on a dime. He can't make these 90-degree cuts. Did you see his three-cone? Oh, he doesn't run an expansive route tree. He's never going to make it in the NFL. He was unbelievable in year one because the Seahawks used him in a way that accentuated his skill set. I think it's really easy for me to see Leo Chanel used in a way that accentuates his skill set. And that's simply just putting him in a system where most of the time he's just driving downhill. He's not asked to be covering tight ends. He's not asked to be covering these running backs. And I still think when you put him in zone, he's going to end up being a fine coverage guy in zone because he's a smart player. And so, yeah, he may never be a man coverage linebacker. But how many times do you need that? And if you're the right defensive coordinator, you don't. And the things he can do well, Nick, which is stop the run and rush the passer, I think you're going to make him one of the 20 best players in this class as we look back. There was a stat yesterday I saw that he had the, the best pass rushing grade at Wisconsin since T.J. Watt, another player who everybody slept on in that draft class. T.J. Watt went at the very back end of the first round to the Steelers. And you know what? Everyone regrets that. No one thought he would be a top 20 player in that class. No one thought he would be a top five player in that class. He was the best player in that class, arguably, T.J. Watt, if not the second best player. So I just think the things that that Chanel does well, he does really well. And so that's my take there. Any other hot takes from you? No, no, not really coming to my mind. Like I said, a yeah. lot of them have kind of already been thrown out. I feel like I've, feel like we've, we've exposed a bunch of our own on this podcast anyway. But I did want to get that final one in about Chanel because, look, I'm excited about what he can do at the next level. And I know some other people are as well. I guess, I mean, like one would be like, I'm everybody already knows, like you said, like I'm not high on Trevor Penning. Like I don't think Trevor Penning, yeah. but I get like why people would like him because of athletic ability and all this other stuff. But I don't even think he tested to the athletic ability, which I've heard many other people point out and it definitely checks out on his film. So it's a lot of stuff we've already rehashed, as you said. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've gone over a lot of this stuff and I think people, I hope by now people have a good idea of who we like, who we don't like. What we're hoping happens for the Giants. But on that note, everybody, have a great rest of your night or morning if you're listening to this the morning before the draft. And keep it locked and loaded on the Big Blue Bender podcast. We got a lot coming. On draft night, we're going to recap day one, the first round. We're going to give our our updated day two targets, both for rounds two and three. So you can expect two podcasts on Thursday late night. Then Friday, obviously, is day two. We're going to recap that and give our targets on uh, uh, for day three. So, again, two podcasts likely coming on Friday night, late night. And then, you know, after Saturday, we'll probably do a full recap of the draft. That might end up being Sunday. We tended to do those last year. I think we did it Sunday afternoon. Then obviously the UDFAs, the post-draft recaps, all of that. It's going to be another packed week for the Big Blue Banter podcast this coming week. And I'm just so excited, Nick. It's, it's going to be a really fun time. All right, everyone. Thank you to all, all of you loyal listeners. Have a great rest of your night, and we'll talk to you soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. 
Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.